Hey everyone, it's Jacqueline Melanick. Welcome to Chain Reaction, a show that unpacks and dives deep into the latest trends, drama, and news with some of the biggest names in crypto, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. Today's guest is Jake Chervinsky, the Chief Policy Officer at Blockchain Association, a nonprofit organization that's focused on promoting pro-innovation policy for the digital asset world. He's also a board member of the DeFi Education Fund and advisor for a Web3 Seed Stage Fund variant. Prior to his work with the Blockchain Association, Chervinsky began his attorney career in private practice with a focus on anti-money laundering and anti-corruption compliance and investigations, financial services litigation, and government enforcement defense. That was a mouthful. Uh, He spends a lot of time in D.C. testifying at hearings to help provide clarity on the crypto industry in hopes to guide it in the right direction. Jake, welcome onto the show. It's great to have you. Hey, Jackie. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited for this episode. And before we get into everything, I want to take a step back and ask you to tell me about one of the most interesting people in crypto you've met or talked to in the past 12 months. What did you learn from them? What a great question. I'll give you uh, one of my favorite people in crypto who Mm -hmm. I've actually known for a few years, but I always learn something new when I talk to her. Her name is Rebecca Reddig. She's chief policy officer at Polygon, which is one of our member companies at the Blockchain Association. And the thing in the last year that I've really learned from her is the switch that she made from practicing law to working full-time in policy. I mean, something that I did a couple of years ago, and honestly, I just thought maybe I was crazy, you know, giving up the practice of law to come work full-time on policy issues in Washington, D.C. And Rebecca is, you know, one of the lawyers I looked up to the most in life. And when she decided to make a similar move, you know, it really validated for me the importance of focusing not just on, you know, navigating current law for a client, but really focusing full-time on advancing policy for the entire space. And so that made me feel a lot better about the very tough but also very rewarding work that we're doing. Yeah, awesome. I always love doing that just to, you know, give someone else a shout out and see who we should be keeping an eye on. So thanks for that. But getting into the topic of the day, you already started regulation. It's been a busy few months for crypto companies and regulators alike, as I'm sure it has been for you as well. We've seen the SEC, CFTC, and the DOJ, all these acronyms hone in on major players in the crypto industry. They've put their foot down, so to speak, on major players like Coinbase, Binance, all the way to maybe lesser known entities like Bitslotto. Uh, so my first question for you, Jake, is how are you currently viewing the U.S. regulatory landscape? It's a great question. I think right now the regulatory landscape for crypto is quite challenging, but I think it's a healthy challenge. And I'll, I'll explain maybe a bit of why. I think for a very long time, people have viewed the crypto industry as this unregulated wild west where a whole bunch of people are just exploiting the rules and, you know, claiming to be doing something new, but actually, you know, running sort of the same old type of scheme in order to enrich themselves. And that's really not true. It never has been true. Crypto has always been a very highly regulated space. The challenge is just there aren't tailored regulations that are specific to this type of industry and this type of technology, which is fundamentally different from what regulators have confronted before. The core of most financial financial regulation especially, but basically all forms of regulation, is to identify intermediaries in a given system 
who can then be forced to follow certain rules or, you know, comply with certain obligations that address some of the shortfalls of a totally unregulated free market type system, right? And usually those are large financial institutions or other trusted third parties that have outsized power or disproportionate influence in a given system. Well, the whole point of crypto is to eliminate exactly those types of intermediaries. And so it's really hard when regulators look at crypto to find the same types of entities that they're used to regulating in the traditional system. And what this means really is we need to craft new regulations that are specific to crypto that actually work for this type of technology and this industry, right? Tailored requirements that address the valid concerns that regulators have without also throwing away all the benefits of decentralization. And I think right now we're in this position where regulators are starting to come to grips with some of the shortcomings of their current authority. And they're either trying to stretch that current authority to fit this new system in a way that those you know rules and, and that authority really wasn't designed to do, or I think more constructively, starting to have conversations about how the rules need to change, how they can be tailored so that we can accomplish those objectives in a much more effective and efficient way here in crypto. It's a hard process, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that with time and with you know, thoughtful progress, um, we'll be able to make something work here in the U.S. Yeah. And you've had a lot of conversations with people in D.C. and people at crypto companies as well. So I'm curious, how has regulators' views and actions changed over the past years? Do you think they're more receptive to it now? What are the conversations you're having there? Regulators' views have changed a lot over time, and they've changed really in both directions from, you know, being sort of skeptical of the technology to embracing it more, and also in, in some places the exact opposite from being more embracing to taking more of a, a hostile view, frankly, toward the industry. I don't really think that there is at this moment one coherent view of the crypto space across the entirety of government. It's still really very idiosyncratic. It depends a lot on who the person is, what their own experience has been, and then what leadership role they have in the government that sort of dictates what their views are. So just as an example, we have folks who are at the Federal Reserve System who are actually really excited about this technology and how it can be used to improve the financial system, to improve payments, and improve their ability to implement monetary policy. At the same time, we have leadership at the Securities and Exchange Commission, for example, that is really very hostile to the technology that views it really as not having much value, you know, even at the core level of just decentralizing the financial system. And we're getting a lot of scrutiny and, frankly, a fairly uncooperative and hostile view from folks there. I don't think that speaks for the entire government, but that's also partly on us to do a better job of educating policymakers about what the value of this technology is and why they should be embracing it as opposed to trying to stop it from moving forward in the United States. Yeah, perhaps this might vary on the agency, but are we in a quote-unquote crackdown era, as many people are calling it, seeing a bit of an iron fist, but is it a period of increasing regulatory activity like a net positive for crypto companies and the U.S. domestic crypto industry, even if it kind of feels like a punishment to some? Or... What are your thoughts here on that? I do think it's fair to say that there is a crackdown happening in some parts of government. I think the SEC, you know, it's hard to characterize what uh, Chair Gensler is doing as anything other than a crackdown. They're looking at every uh, sector of the industry and 
instead of you know looking for ways to lift up companies that are trying in good faith to comply with regulations or who are making proposals for how the rules could change that would fit not only their businesses but also regulators concerns you know more closely instead they're just looking for opportunities for enforcement and for rulemaking that would make it either difficult or impossible for the US crypto industry to continue doing its work here i think crackdown is a good term for that i don't think that that is true though across government and I, and i think that this really shows itself in the context of what we've all seen as a turf war between the two major financial markets regulators in the US, the SEC and the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. And, you know, the United States is somewhat unique in having two separate financial markets regulators. Most countries only have one. But here we have the SEC and the CFTC both claiming jurisdiction over the digital asset space. And, you know, they'll tell you that they're working together collaboratively and, you know, doing a good job of sort of splitting up and, and divvying up which aspects of this technology they'll regulate. That's really not what's coming through. And we even see court filings from the two agencies describing digital assets fundamentally differently. The SEC will say that Ether, the native asset of the Ethereum blockchain, is a security within its jurisdiction. The CFTC will say, no, it's not. It's a commodity. And so we should right. be regulating derivatives activity that happens around Ether. And so I think we are just in this position where we need to work out some of these big problems before we'll know how should this industry be regulated. Again, long-term positive process. Short-term, I think very harmful not only to the industry, but also to the United States' own interest in keeping this work here and not you know, fleeing overseas to other more welcoming jurisdictions. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Jake, because obviously there's been an ongoing conversation of whether cryptocurrencies are commodities or securities, or maybe some are, some aren't. And as you mentioned, the CFTC and the SEC, they're not even in full agreement on what it is. So I'm curious, what do you think and do you think the U.S. regulators have it right? Is this a conversation as controversial as the public eye makes it or is their stance clear and we should follow what they say, even though they might not be agreeing on everything? I definitely don't think that they're right. And I, I think they don't even know what their position is, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And that's a sort of challenging situation for the industry because, you know, the, the member companies that I represent at the Blockchain Association, all they want is to know what the rules are, right? All they want to know is what are they supposed to do to feel comfortable that they have complied with all of the obligations imposed upon them by law mm -hmm. and not have to worry that some other regulator is going to show up from left field saying they violated some rule they didn't know they were supposed to follow in the first place. I think this question of whether assets are securities or non-security commodities really is the best example of, of how harmful that uh, lack of clarity is. Clearly, the SEC and the CFTC do not agree. And it seems like the issue that they are debating comes from the perspective more of which of them will have greater authority rather than what is the right conclusion as a matter of law or as a matter of policy. Nobody thinks we should have a financial system where there's a lack of clarity as to which regulator should oversee given aspects of, of that system. And what we'd love to see is some collaboration between the two to decide whether these assets are securities or commodities, what are the right rules to apply to them that will address the risk that they pose, if indeed there is some risk, while also making sure that innovation can you know, flourish here in the United States. And I think that's where we've seen the least progress, frankly, in the last couple of years. I think that conversation 
has been deranged, unfortunately, a bit by the collapse of FTX and the you know, revelation that Sam Bankman-Fried, who was very close with both of those financial markets regulators, spent a lot of time talking to them and, and submitting his own proposals for how he thought the industry should be regulated. You know, the revelation that those regulators had really sort of missed what was going on underneath their own noses Mm -hmm. has caused them to take a firm stance to say, well, because of what happened with FTX and with Sam Bankman-Fried, we're just going to be harsh on everyone, right? The rest of the industry will pay the price for FTX having, you know, grown as large and for Sam having committed the historic fraud that he did. And that's made it really hard, I think, for us to have constructive conversations under the sort of shadow of FTX. And it'll just be a matter of time, I think, until we can have some more constructive conversations about what regulation should look like. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that front, especially in regards to FTX kind of putting a a dark shadow over the industry when there was progress being made. And the past 12 to 18 months or even longer. If you could change one tactic that the crypto industry today is taking when it comes to government interaction, kind of going off of that idea, what would it be? I think it would just be doing a better job of getting on the same page before we approach policymakers. And this Mm -hmm. is something we hear from policymakers all the time, which is the industry doesn't even know what it wants, right? The industry can't get on the same page to propose regulation. And that makes it really hard for the policymakers to come up with, you know, good ideas and move them forward. You know, there are policymakers who want to work with industry, but when they have meetings with five different people who tell them six different things about what they should be doing, you know, their reaction often is just to throw their hands up in the air and say, we'll have to do this without industry. We'll have to figure it out on our own. And that's really not a good solution. And I don't just say that from the perspective of, you know, being a representative of the industry. The policymakers we talk to are very busy people. They have a lot going on. And crypto is a really small small part of what they're focused on. (laughs) And and not only that, but like we talk about, about, you know, how big the crypto market is, it's not even as big as a single company at the top of the S&P 500, right? The entire crypto market cap still doesn't trump a single large company. And so policymakers don't have all day to think about crypto, and they need help from the people who genuinely understand the technology to figure out, you know, what they should do next. And I think it's mixed messaging that really causes, you know, some pain and suffering when it comes to, you know, the rules actually being created. I'm glad to say that I I think we at the Blockchain Association are part of the solution to that problem because trade associations are really great for getting 100 people in a room and then Mm -hmm. sort of turning their effort and their energy into a single position. But I think across the industry, we could be doing a better job of this. Yeah, it's funny that you said the note about how like this industry is like so small in the the grand scheme of things, because oftentimes like I cover this space for a living. This, you know, this is what I live and breathe. And then like people outside of this industry just like don't really care or they know a little bit about it. And so I can imagine for regulators too, we have to give them a little bit of like empathy on that front where this is like one of the many industries that they're grappling with. So I guess with that is, are American companies taking the right tactic by asking for crypto specific regulation instead of just working to amend existing securities laws that exist today? Like, should they just be going in with what exists? Or is it the right approach to ask for new frameworks, given that this is a new industry? It's an excellent question. I think it has to be a combination of both. And and this Mm. is where adapting current regulations to new technology gets so complicated. Every single regulatory framework you can imagine touches crypto in some way, because crypto at its heart is simply 
the ability for individuals to own digital property, right? Ultimately, that's sort of what the revolution of public blockchains comes down to. And when you talk about owning property, you implicate every single regulatory framework that you can imagine, the securities laws, the commodities laws, the anti-money laundering laws, the tax laws, and on and on and on. And some of those regulatory frameworks really make perfect sense in the context of, of crypto, right? One example is the anti-money laundering laws with respect to financial institutions. The way that the Bank Secrecy Act, which is the main anti-money laundering law in the U.S. works is, it says, if you run a company and you custody assets or funds for your mm -hmm. customers, you receive that money or those funds, and then you transmit it to some other person or other location on behalf of your customers, then you are a financial institution that has to do due diligence on those transactions that you're processing, right? You have to collect personal identifying information from your customers, and you have to report some of that to the government if it looks suspicious or something, you know, in that nature. Those rules apply perfectly well to crypto. If you are a centralized exchange and you have customers and you're transmitting money for those customers, we don't really need to do a whole lot to the anti-money laundering laws to have that work just fine for you. But it's very different when you start talking about the application of regulations to on-chain activities, right? Peer-to-peer -peer transactions where you don't have that type of intermediary that I was you know, mentioning earlier is sort of the assumption of all, of all regulatory frameworks. In those cases, I do think, you know, often we have to go back to the drawing board and we have to think sort of from first principles, what are the risks that we are regulating for? And then how can we regulate for those risks in the disintermediated environment of a public blockchain without also infringing on the individual rights and the civil liberties of the people who are using that system? And in the context of the securities laws specifically, I really do think that requires us going back, you know, back to the drawing board and coming up with a new system to try to address the issue of information asymmetry between the issuers of assets and the investors in those assets. Right. I want to switch topics a little bit and kind of look at the innovation and building of American crypto companies, so to speak, in the States. I've had a lot of conversations recently about developers leaving or companies having a base in the U.S., but then hiring abroad or having other frameworks internationally. Coinbase recently, which is the second largest crypto exchange in the world, as I know you know, Jake, but for our listeners, got a digital asset business license in Bermuda. And it also expanded in Abu Dhabi, Canada, Brazil, Singapore, other areas through like its eight-week international expansion drive, which is what the company calls it, not me. <laughs> but I guess the reason I bring this all up, Jake, is do you think Coinbase will leave the U.S. at some point? It is domestic to the states, yes, but they are expanding abroad. And do you think that's kind of like a response to regulatory enforcement? So I don't want to speak for Coinbase, and I don't mm -hmm. know anything more about their plans than, than you do from, you know, right. watching what they've been doing publicly. I will say, though, I have a very high opinion of Brian Armstrong and his legal and policy teams. I think they've made it very clear that they are an American company. They want to do business here in the U.S. They are a good actor that have tried, you know, to get this right. And to the extent that they're opening up new business lines overseas, I don't think that's a sign that they want to leave the United States. I think it's just a sign that they are respecting the current views of regulators here in the U.S., and they're showing that they can launch these products in a safe and sound way in other markets. My hope is 
that will help them and the rest of us to explain to U.S. regulators why these products and services are not an undue risk, why they should be accessible to U.S. persons. I think that what we're seeing now is really two things as a result of the regulatory pressure the industry is is under. One is this exact thing, companies launching products and services that simply exclude U.S. citizens. So as a U.S. citizen, you have fewer options, you have less choice than you would have if you were a citizen of another country, right? That's a mistake from a policy perspective. It means that we're cutting ourselves out of this new technology, as opposed to, you know, slowing down the pace at which it's progressing around the world. We're just sort of slowing down our ability to adopt that new technology. And the second thing is, we are sending companies overseas. I think it's less that current U.S. companies will actually relocate which is an extremely onerous and burdensome thing to do. You know, if you're Coinbase or another company set up in the U.S. and you've already gone through, you know, the expensive and time-intensive work of setting up here, probably you're going to stay here, but you might launch your next new business, your next subsidiary, your next product line somewhere else. If you're a new company, you know, if you're a founder who's getting, you know, startup capital today, you're having a really tough conversation with your venture capital investors, with your lawyers, with your accountants, with the other professionals you've hired about where you're going to set up that company. And increasingly, the answer is not in the United States. And not because the company would actually be unlawful in some way, but because there's just extraordinary fear about who knows what will happen next. And if in two years the SEC decides we don't want any crypto to exist in the United States, which you know seems like based on current leadership, you know, not a crazy thought that they might say that, then you as a founder don't want to have set up in the U.S. And so I think that's really the uh, the issue now is new companies not setting up here, but instead going overseas. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Also shifting gears, you recently testified before the House Financial Services Subcommittee on Digital Assets to discuss stablecoin legislation. Can you walk us through what that was like and what you were hoping to accomplish there? Absolutely. Well, it was an amazing experience to start. It was my first time testifying in Congress. And I will just say on a personal note, it was for me very gratifying to Mm -hmm. have the opportunity to express myself and, and represent the Blockchain Association and our members in an environment where I think we really were heard. And, you know, often you look at these hearings and think that they're just sort of, you know, made for TV, you know, reality series, all, you know, prescripted. <laughs> That's not the case at all. Yeah. I got a bunch of great questions. And I, I think that I was able to communicate effectively along with my co-panelists why stablecoins are so important to U.S. interests. And in terms of how the hearing went, you know, what we tried to accomplish is to explain to the members of Congress, you have to take action in this space, right? We can't sit idly by waiting to see if crypto becomes a thing or disappears. Right? There are still people who think crypto is just going to go away at some point. That's, that's not the reality we live in. Instead, Congress must do its job and must move forward legislation that clarifies how these assets and how this system, this decentralized ecosystem should be regulated. You know, there's a couple of different views about where Congress should start. One of those views is to start with comprehensive legislation, right? Let's do one bill, and even if it has to be thousands of pages, let's just decide everything to do with crypto legislation now. The other view is let's start with the things we really understand. Let's move forward on the pieces that are closest to traditional you know, business models and and traditional finance, where there isn't going to be controversy in us tailoring those rules and and those laws, and that the best place to start is stablecoin legislation. That's my view. And I think that stablecoins are this great example of a technology that 
greatly benefits from a public blockchain, but does not create some of those risks that we still don't totally understand and don't know how to to legislate or regulate for. So my message was Congress should move forward on stablecoin legislation as fast as possible. And, you know, at the Blockchain Association, we support that and we're here to help. And I, I think that message came through. Great. I feel like last year after the Terra Luna collapse, there was like tons of conversation about stablecoin legislation. Everyone was talking about it. We wrote about it. And then all of a sudden it was like, crickets. (laughs) So it's good to see that ball rolling again. Do you think the framework for that would kind of come about within months or so, or this is just conversations, like base level conversations, like the first inning? So I think that the Financial Services Committee is pretty far along. I mean, I certainly hesitate to predict because you can you can always get it wrong, <laughs> but almost never get it right when you make a prediction right. about how long something will take uh, on the Hill. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, at the hearing, the committee noticed a draft bill that they had spent many months working on last year that was about 70 pages, I believe, and really got pretty far down the road of figuring out what should regulation look like for a centralized custodial stablecoin issuer like Circle, for example. And my hope is that the committee will pick back up with that draft and, you know, drive it home. I, I don't think there's a huge amount of work left to do. I guess my big concern, as, as we were discussing a moment ago, is how that conversation will change as a result of FTX and some of the other, you know, issues that came up after the initial work was done on that draft bill last year. But I really think, you know, Congress is looking for a win. The industry wants this to happen. Everyone agrees and did agree mm-hmm. during the hearing that we need to get stablecoin legislation done. It's just the devil is in the details. And, you know, the devil often stops these things from getting across the finish line. Yep. Moving on to another segment we call rapid fire. Jake, I'm going to ask you some questions and you can answer yes, no, or keep it brief. (laughs) But it's supposed to be a fun little game where I just get to throw a bunch of little questions at you and then we can move on. Awesome. So the first one is, is the U.S. falling behind other countries in regards to crypto regulation? Yes. Is the U.S. falling behind other countries in regards to innovation as a result? Uh, Yes, definitely. Do you believe we'll get more clarity on crypto regulation in the U.S. within the next 18 months? Some, but sadly not enough, if I had to guess. Do you think the anti-crypto politicians, quote-unquote, have retail investors' best interests in mind? What a tough question. (laughs) I think that they do. I just think that they're misguided. I think that's what they have in their minds, but that's not what what they're doing in practicality. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, do you think regulators understand the nuances and actual purpose of crypto or they still view it as like a shady entity? Totally depends on who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Some do. And I think increasingly many do, but not enough. They do view it as a shady entity or they understand? That they understand it. I think some really understand it and some are stuck in this view of Mm -hmm. Bitcoin as it was in 2013, right? Most useful for buying drugs on the internet and not good for much else than that. Um, and I think they're just, you know, missing the boat. Yeah, they're they're hanging out in the Silk Road still. Uh, <laughs> I asked you if you think anti-crypto politicians have retail investors' best interests in mind. And you paused and you said you think they do. So I, I wanted to follow up on that. As there's a handful of politicians who are pro-crypto, like Senator Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming and Senator Kristen Gillibrand of New York, among others. But do you see a future where the majority are on the crypto industry side? Yes, I absolutely do. I mean, to me, that's unquestionable, and it's just a matter of time until we get there. Mm -hmm. I think when you deeply understand what this technology does, which is removes gatekeepers and middlemen from the financial system, 
it's impossible to be against the technology, right? And I think that if you do have retail investors' best interests at heart, then you will want this technology to succeed because it natively protects them, right? It uses technology to provide protections for retail investors that in the traditional financial system, we've simply hoped that the big banks and you know other financial institutions would act in a way that protects retail investors, that has never worked. And so I think you have to support the technology once you understand it. The reason for my hesitation earlier (laughs) is because I don't ascribe ill will to any policymaker, right. even the ones who have come out as as being, you know, avidly anti-crypto. Yeah. I think that they have the right intent at heart. I think it's just a lack of education. And again, you know, to me, that's not on them, that's on us. We've got to explain to them why this technology matters and why it sort of achieves the goals that they have. And so I, I think that they have the best interests of, of retail investors at heart, even if not at the forefront of the policies that they've been pushing forward. Yeah, that's why I said quote-unquote. I was trying to be fair with everything. Yeah. So what do you think would it take to get majority on the crypto industry side? Like, is it a form of education or? I do think it's education. I think it's also on the industry to build applications that really reach the mainstream, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think at this point, we're still in sort of a hobbyist era for the crypto industry. The people who are using this on a day-to-day basis are pretty sophisticated people. And to some degree, they're also people who view crypto as an opportunity to gamble on volatile assets, right? Which is something that technology allows, but is certainly not what the technology is designed for. And I think it will require the industry moving past that period, right? Creating mainstream applications that you and I and everyone else, even if they don't understand what a blockchain is, are using on a day-to-day basis. I think that's sort of when we'll when we'll cross over to a point where policymakers can't ignore crypto. They won't be able to just dismiss it as an unregulated Wild West. It's just going to take time to get there. And it's, it's really a, a sort of a user experience and technology challenge more so than it is a policy or advocacy challenge, although certainly that's, you know, an important piece of it too. Mm-hmm. Which areas of crypto do you think will receive the most positive regulation in the coming months to years? I don't even want to say like this year because I know how long these things take. And then conversely, which side do you think will face a genuine quote unquote crackdown over the next few years? Yeah. So again, with the caveat that it's very hard to predict these things, I'll give Mm -hmm. you at least my my best speculation for today. I think what we will get clarity on is some of the sort of nuts and bolts questions around how centralized operators work. And I'll I'll give you a couple examples. One is stablecoin issuance. So my hope is that Congress will move forward in the next year or so with stablecoin legislation that will make absolutely clear how anyone who wants to issue a stablecoin can do so in full compliance with both state and federal law. They'll know who their regulators are, and there won't be any questions about whether, you know, maybe the SEC will show up to say stablecoins are securities. I think we will get clarity on on that issue. Another is tax reporting. So right now, the Treasury Department is working on new tax rules for centralized exchanges, which, again, everyone agrees we need, but just is bogged down in the, the sort of difficulty of working through the nuance of how you take some of those rules and then apply them to an ecosystem that never turns off, right? So like weird questions like, if you do a transaction at 11.59 p.m. Pacific, 
do you record that transaction on that day or mm-hmm. the next day because of the time on the East Coast? It's like little things like that for, you know, cost basis reporting that need to get worked out. I'm expecting us to get a lot of clarity on how that kind of stuff works. I think that'll be a huge benefit both for those companies and also for the customers who are using those exchanges and would love to have a report saying what their taxes are. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of a win-win. In terms of areas that I think will remain unclear, Sadly, I think this question of whether assets qualify as securities or commodities is unlikely to be resolved in the next couple of years. The SEC has not shown any interest in doing rulemaking, right, to go through a real public process to ask this question, what is a security in the context of digital assets, and then come up with new rules informed by public comment, which I think is what the SEC ought to be considering. Either that or that Congress should make the decision as to how these assets are regulated, since this very well may be one of those types of questions that only Congress can answer, because it's Congress's job to write new laws, not the job of the SEC. Sadly, I think we will spend the next few years in the courts arguing in front of federal judges about whether the SEC's interpretation of the term investment contract in the Securities Act of 1933 is correct or not. And I'm guessing if you and I talk again in, you know, 2025, (laughs) we'll be having the same conversation about that issue. Yeah, I was going to say, I think maybe we'll find out how this all pans out and hopefully our conversation will be very different in the future. Finally, Jake, what would be your advice to crypto companies or projects building in the U.S. amid all of this regulatory uncertainty? My advice, not intended as legal advice, since I'm not a lawyer to any of those companies, (laughs) but my, my strategic advice, I suppose, would be don't lose faith in the United States. You know, it, it looks tough right now. And I think the reason it looks tough is because of a few very loud voices, but those voices do not represent the view of the United States government. And there's a reason why we all love the United States, right? I'm I'm an American and I'm not, you know, looking to flee this country just because there's some regulatory pressure related to an industry and a technology that I care deeply about. I think that we can work this out here. There's a reason the US has the best capital markets in the world and there's a reason why everyone wants to do business in this country and it shouldn't be any different from crypto. So, you know, let's be ready for a fight if we have to be, but let's continue to work constructively in good faith and in the end I think we will prevail. All right, we can leave it at that. Jake, thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Where can everyone find you or keep up with you? I would say follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jay Chervinsky, and um, that's the best place to keep up with what I'm doing and keep up with the Blockchain Association. Perfect. Thanks again. Thank you. We'll be back every other week with interviews with top players in the crypto ecosystem. Catch us on Thursdays for interviews with experts in the Web3 space. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and the stories we talked about can be found in our show notes and be sure to follow us at chain underscore reaction on Twitter. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself and produced by Yashad Kulkarni and Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. See you next time.